and salutations, my friends, in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having an incredible day. I know I am. I just watched what I think is probably one of the most inspiring uh, little videos. And uh, it was, the subject of the video was this little girl who fallen in love with rhythmic gymnastics as like a four or five-year-old child. And enrolled in gymnastic classes and this is it takes place over in Europe and uh, she goes up through the different stages she gets to the point where she's at a major international competition and all along she has uh, has had her detractors uh, or fellow competitors if you will and um, <sighs> They make fun of her because she's too fat or she's not graceful enough or her clothes aren't as fancy as theirs. And uh, and they they work to sabotage her, but she keeps going. She keeps going. And finally, she gets to this international competition. And one of her main competitors ruins her uh, costume that her grandmother had made for her. And so she just goes out in a plain shirt and tights and ballet shoes and does this most incredible routine and of course wins first place but the the gist of it was at the end his champions are not champions because they win something champions are champions because they overcome something they overcome obstacles and that has a little bit to do with what we're going to be talking about today uh, today we're going to be going into hebrews and we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, chapters 1 and 2, the author of Hebrews, uh, which we pretty much determined is probably not Paul, at least in my mind, is writing primarily to a Jewish audience. An audience consists of Torah-observant Jews who are now believers in Messiah, Jesus as Messiah. And they bring with themselves a particular set of baggage that has to be dealt with. And, uh, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's encouraging them about the supremacy of Jesus. He starts off by talking in the first two chapters about how Jesus is superior to angels. Now, angels are a big deal in Jewish thinking and Jewish theology and Jewish religious experience. Uh, angels have been involved in the history of Israel since the beginning of time. And so they, uh, they place a great deal of importance in angelic messages and angelic interventions. And so the writer of Hebrews says, okay, that's well and good, but Jesus is superior to the angels because they're his servants. So he's reminding them of that. Now, part of the problem that a Jewish believer might have, even though the Messiah is Jesus, they might have, some of them had trouble with the fact that it was, well, Jesus. He came from Nazareth. And it's it's funny because even as a Christian, sometimes I, I have days where I really look at what I believe and I have doubts. What if I'm wrong? What if what if this is just a, a fancy formula formula for living that I've come up with that makes me have peace in my heart? But what if it's not true? You know, those are honest things. Those are honest, honest thought, thoughts. So I would uh, put to you that he, the writer of Hebrews is addressing these thoughts. He wants them to be sure of their faith, of 
placing their faith in Jesus. That's where we're at today. So let's start off by looking at our reading our uh, Apostles' Creed, and then we'll get right into Hebrews chapter 3. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Chapter 3. Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, as important as angels are in the religion of the Jewish people, Moses has a very preeminent position. Moses is the prophet of prophets. Moses was the one who delivered them, with God's help, of course, from slavery in Egypt, bringing them into the promised land. So Moses is a big deal. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, what do you mean, therefore? When we see the word therefore, what's it there for? Well, we could say, since Jesus is superior to the angels, fix your thoughts on Jesus. He should be the focus of your attention, not supernatural angelic visitation. Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, who we acknowledge as an apostle, our, our apostle and high priest. Now, this is the only time the word apostle is applied to Jesus. It just means uh, uh, someone who completes a mission assent, uh, assigned to him by the Father, which he did. His mission was to go to the cross and die for us. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of her house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Appealing to the Jewish context of his audience, the writer of Hebrews makes the case that yes, Moses can be considered to have built the house, Israel, establishing under his leadership its identity as a nation and a people, but the house is owned by Messiah. Moses was held in incredibly high esteem by the Torah observant Jew, but there is a difference between he and Jesus. Maybe he built the house. Jesus owns the house. So now, so, we could insert here, so, since you identify so strongly with Moses, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That's why I was angry at that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they've not known my way. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Ooh, hard words. 
So this is an Old Testament situation, if you will. He's going to follow it with a New Testament application. But basically what he's telling them says, you know, if you identify with Moses, make sure there are two groups of people that follow Moses, those who believed him and those who rebelled. He's telling them, don't be part of those people that rebel. Here's the New Testament application. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. You know, this has been a theme through many of the epistles, especially here in Hebrews. We are basically saying we are believers if we hold our original conviction to the end. We are of the family of God if indeed we stay faithful to the end. The Presbyterians have a thing called uh, perseverance of the saints. And they, they believe that that is, at least this is what I think they believe. They believe that uh, the perseverance of the saints is the ultimate sign proving whether or not you're truly a believer. Because there are lots of nice people that go to church. There's the church visible and the church invisible. I've talked about this before. Church visible is everybody who shows up on a Sunday. The church invisible is a crowd within the crowd that have truly bowed their knee to Christ and are seeking to serve him. In Israel, when they came out of Egypt, there was a group of people who were faithful to God and to Moses. And there were a group of people that were not faithful to God and Moses, but the people who were not faithful still got to share in the blessings of the nation of Israel. I mean, God provided manna. God provided quail. God provided water. He took care of them while they uh, went through the desert. They all shared in those blessings, the temporal blessings that God poured out on the nation Israel while they were wandering through the wilderness. But there was a group, the people that rebelled were not allowed into the promised land. There's a powerful picture there. We'll get to that in a second. As it's been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. To the Jewish people who were in the church of that day, he's reminding them, you identify with Moses. Let's remember the story of Moses and not just Moses, but the people that surrounded him. There was a group of people that followed Moses. Now these people, these, rebel, these people that rebelled, they didn't go off and start another wanderer wandering around in the wilderness. They didn't go off, start another tribe. They stayed and they followed Moses, but they pushed back against him. They rebelled against him. They grumbled and they fought him. And this was in the nation of Israel. In our churches, we have the same kind of thing, don't we? There are people who stay, but they grumble and they fight and they push back and they complain and they're bitter. Uh, we can see lots of Gentile church application coming out of this example. 
He's telling his Jewish his Jewish people that are be reading this, don't make sure you're not part of the rebellion. Old Testament example. I got this out of our uh, out of my uh, study Bible. I thought this was amazing. Neither the blessing of the Exodus from Egypt, nor the privilege of hearing God's voice, guaranteed to the generation that was in the wilderness that they would enter God's rest. They heard God's voice. Um, they were part of the Exodus. They were delivered from Egypt. And that rest is what was the goal of the pilgrimage. I'm going to read that again. Neither the blessing of the Exodus from Egypt, nor the privilege of hearing God's voice, guaranteed to the generation that was in the wilderness that they would enter God's rest. The rest that is the goal of our pilgrimage. Their rebellion and disobedience was rooted in unbelief in their failure to cling permanently to God's promise. How did we know which ones are the ones that rebelled? Well, ultimately, they did not stay faithful to God. In, our today, in today's church environment, how do we know who are really Christians and who really aren't? Well, the only true litmus test is time. We worship, we praise, we serve, we live the best we can according to the commandments to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, love our neighbor as ourselves. But ultimately, time will tell who's truly there and who's truly not. And that's the only litmus test. You can't give a written test to find out who believes in God or not. They'll fall away. They'll show themselves, just like the people did in Israel. And the perseverance of the saints is a very, very, very important doctrine in today's church. The Baptist church, the tradition I'm, I'm part of, they primarily, they would say it's called uh, once saved, always saved. And those who are saved stay saved. Those who aren't saved fall away. Now, let me put a New Testament application spin on this. I'm going to take the wording of that Old Testament thing from my commentary, put a New Testament application spin on it. Neither the blessings from the local church or the privilege of hearing God's voice through the preaching and teaching of the local church guarantees our generation passage into the promised land, heaven. Rebellion, sin, and disobedience rooted in unbelief will bar entrance to heaven. That's all that keeps you from an eternity with Jesus. Sin, rebellion, disobedience, rooted in unbelief. At the, at the end of the day, you don't believe in God. Now, there's a warning there, and I'm, I'm going to be really, really, truly honest. I have in my life, on a regular basis, I examine what I believe. Uh, I, to me, this 60 or 70 years or whatever, however long I have on this planet, this is my wilderness wandering. If I want to cross over the Jordan into the promised land, Am I part of the rebellion or am I part of the faithful? Am I loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind and loving my neighbors myself? Or am I just in it for me?
and for these, what I can get out of the 60 or 70 years in the wilderness. Th- those people in the wilderness that didn't get in the promised land, they reaped the benefits. And there were benefits in that wilderness wandering. God provided miraculously for them. There was food, there was clothing, there was water. But their hearts were not servants of God. In their hearts, they were not followers of Moses and followers of God. And they didn't get to cross the Jordan into the promised land. So there's there's occasions where I will just, I'll examine what I believe. And I don't think that's being hypocritical. I don't think it's being weak in faith. I think it's totally, completely honest to take what you believe, set up in front of yourself and say, why do I believe this? Why is this important to me? Because I am determined, I wanna make sure I will cross the Jordan River into the promised land. Now, I believe that uh, that, that is a done deal, it's settled for me. But there is a, that once saved, always saved. I believe I'm participating in the perseverance of the saints. I believe that uh, I am indeed a Christian. I have bowed my knee to Messiah. Um, I claim him as my Lord. And I believe that God raised him from the dead in three days on the third day. Um, I believe that God loved me so much he gave his only begotten son that if I believe in him, I do. I won't perish, but I'll have everlasting life on the other side of the Jordan. So I, I examine myself regularly to make sure that I am indeed who I say I am. And that's not a lack of faith in my part. To me, it's a point of joy to, to regularly examine the foundation of my faith, to regularly take a look at and study and contemplate the grace of God, the mercy of God. To me, it's a point of joy. But this is a message of warning to the Jewish contingent in the church, but also to anybody in the church. We are in the wilderness wanderings now. The Jordan is that curtain between death and life where we cross over from this life to the other life. To get into the promised land, we have to be true believers. Those who weren't true believers did not make it into the promised land. So having said all that, um, one thing that, uh, all this reminded me of a story uh, I read about a Christian businessman. He was, I think, down in the Bahamas and uh, he was on a plane that crashed upon takeoff, all right? It broke up and there was uh, a lot of chaos and there was a, uh, a fireball that went rolling through the cabin. And he said the one thing that he noticed was that the minute this happened, the minute this disaster took place within seconds, people around him had one of a couple different reactions. Um, one lady bowed her head and prayed But the person next to him started cursing God in a loud voice and just getting angry and full of rage and and frustration. And and he, he began to see that when under stress, who you really are is what comes out. Now, prior to this, he saw no difference between that gentleman next to him and the lady that was praying. But when this plane crashed, the woman prayed 
instinctively, just went to her knees in prayer. And the man started cursing angrily. And it was at that moment when they were approaching the River Jordan, if you will, that the true nature of the people presented itself. So that would be my question to you. What it really is in your heart? Um, if you knew today that God was going to close the curtains on your sojourn in the wilderness, would you cross over to the promised land? Could you make that journey across the River Jordan? Could you be part of what God has for us on the other side? I will. I really believe that. I look forward to the day when I close my eyes here and I open my eyes there and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your Lord. Hebrews is a powerful, powerful epistle, folks. I'm looking forward to chapter four tomorrow. So having said that, I'm Paige. Here's my coffee. And I am out of here. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. For crying out loud, think for yourself.